Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. It's award season, and everyone's talking about the winners, the losers, the outfits, the fact we can be face-to-face, and even with some physical contact. This episode kicks off talking about the FinTech Futures Bank Tech Awards coming up in San Francisco. No slaps heard around the world, but Judge Mary Winooski of Bankrate and Lisa Moyle of VC Innovations and I talk about the award categories, some of the finalists, and what we recognize as innovation is beginning to evolve. It is hard to believe that it was two years without in-person uh, meetings and get together and so exciting that we're back people and coming up in may is the fintech futures awards and let's kick off talking about some of the categories that are going to be there but why don't we talk about the uh the actual award ceremony and the dinner and what's going to go on there first so we're holding the first uh, banking tech awards usa this uh year so we've got the um following on from the banking tech awards that we hold every year um this will be the, the first one in may on the 19th of may at the julian morgan ballroom um so yeah please join us there <laughs> yes and the, you know the list of categories in the bank tech has really grown and it's really, you know, I think it speaks to the maturation in the industry. And it's exciting to see that it isn't just, you know, the startups that are leading innovation. You know, if you look at some of the categories, you see a lot of uh, the established banks are actually coming in hot in not just the big banks, you see a good number of community banks and new banks coming in and how they're using technology. You know, Mary, you've followed this space for a long time from the US perspective. And Lisa, you bring both a global perspective and also the UK perspective, hotbed of innovation around fintech and bank tech. How have you seen the space evolve and how's that being reflected in the types of applicants you reviewed as a judge? Why don't we start with you, Lisa? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having been in this space um, for longer than I want to say on air, it's been amazing to see the change, the growth, as you said, the the maturation across the sector, the kind of spider-like spread into, into new areas. And uh, I've been based in London for 20-something years now and not a banking tech judge for that long, but a banking tech judge for a number of years. And I've just seen the categories grow massively. And it's really nice to see the North American, our U.S. edition now being launched. Mary, you know, you followed the space for a long time and have seen the categories begin to grow and you judge some other things. You know, we've sat on some panels together. What's your take and how on how this space is you know, really evolving from the bank tech side? Yeah, so you know, I do have that perspective because I started covering this when like Simple was making a splash, whatever year that was, um, more than a decade ago. Okay, good, I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what you're seeing, or what I'm seeing, or what I'm feeling is, I remember way back when everyone was moaning about like, ugh no PFM stuff is being used because it's lost in the tab in online banking. So here in some of the applicants, you see 
how it's matured and the transactions now there's there's one startup you know that's helping people it's mining the transaction data to see how someone could save on a bill and then do it for them um you're also seeing that from the big banks for like a news feed of transactions so you're just seeing something that was um you know sort of lost in a tab and online banking now get more specific and more hopefully useful to everyday consumers one of the things that I found particularly interesting and, you know, disclosure, uh, one of the finalists in several of the categories is Nalloy Labs member Tab Bank, um, but that it isn't just the big banks that are being innovative and it isn't just the the startups that are being innovative. Is you reviewed, not just you know, the finalists, did that surprise either one of you? Specifically you, Mary, since the U.S. obviously has a lot more of the community banks. I'm always is amazed by like the new brands entering the space with a new bank account because it is so cluttered, congested, very hard to pull off. And yet, like there's a profound need still in the US to help serve different communities. And so it didn't surprise me because the need is there. But like, you know, if I was more of an outsider, I'd probably be like, oh no, not this, <laughs> not another bank account. But one of the trends you see come up here, and you know, you've heard about this for months now, if not a couple of years, is like things that are helping migrants, people new to the country. And you see, you saw that come up in the applications. And I think that's like a more interesting thing that's been evolving too. It's getting more specific in um, what startups are targeting um, um, certain people with. Yeah. Yeah. I would just jump in there and say, you know, obviously having judged both the European version and the U.S. version now, it never ceases to amaze me the kind of sheer diversity and breadth of institutions from small community banks up to, you know, the community banks and regional banks. Um, And I saw some great examples of fintech credit union partnerships in the submissions for for the awards. And, you know, fantastic to see that community banks are now partnering with fintechs. Obviously, necessity required them to do so, really, to be able to continue to deliver for their customers, their communities during the pandemic. But um, I saw, I'm sure you saw the same, Mary. There were some great examples of fintech, credit union, community bank partnerships. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting about that, Lisa, is they're showing real results. You know, this is not vaporware, you know, and a press release level of innovation, but really driving real results. And I think one of the categories that is new um, is the COVID response, right? COVID being the necessity there that this wasn't just about PR. We really did need to drive results. I'm curious, you know, what you saw in the COVID results category, if you could speak to that and um, how that made its way onto the list. Yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, just to say we didn't both judge the same categories. I don't know if Mary did that category, but there were some really impressive examples of technology providers, fintechs, financial institutions, and, you know, some of the large financial institutions really surprised at their ability to deliver at pace. You know, it's not really what the kind of reputation they have. And Picking up on Mary's point about what she was saying around, you know, really seeing what greater personalization can deliver. And in a crisis, understanding the needs of your consumers, of the small businesses in your community, um, you know, is an important driver to be able to deliver to them effectively. So seeing that greater personalization in the response was an important element of the effectiveness in which they were able to deliver. Mary, you cover it more broadly, not just speaking to the awards here, but what's really driving the change? Do you think that fintechs and banks and credit unions have finally figured out 
how this partnership thing works more effectively? You know, I love that question because um, it's hard to answer. I don't know if I have a single answer for that, but, you know, I would say, you know, when I first started covering it, you know, the bigger banks would be like, ha, 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 you're going to fail. <laughs> good luck. Good luck to you. Um, and then, you know, some brands really caught on, some startups really caught on the pressure was driven consumers started using things they started expecting things like early payday that kind of thing um you hit a tipping point and now it's so curious because you see the traditional bankers wanting to go um connect with entrepreneurs just to see what's coming next because there's there seems to be like this fear of you know missing out and um not that a bank is going to usually be the first person to do something but i think it's just sort of forced its hand, but it's also the circumstances, right? So there's so many holes in our traditional banking system, like there's a need to do so much. And so I think um, <laughs> necessity is is driving a lot of this as well, but certainly pressure being the other undercurrent. And well, just like, um, there's so much room to do better. Yeah. Well, and that is another category, you know, that is grown is this uh, inclusion in the mobility category that I found, you know, I thought this idea of creating economic mobility and banking and finance was a great addition to this. And one that is also showing results, it, you know, ESG in general is one that we tend to make a PR campaign. But again, these had greater results than we've seen in the past. And, you know, Lisa, I love how you brought up the PFM. Long have we also looked at and said, oh, what we're going to do is provide financial literacy, which has driven zero results that we're seeing more there. Did either one of you uh, judge in that category? I did. I did. So I, you know, I see what you're saying. And that's also to the point of like, you see like the, the the brands for the new mig like the newer migrants to the country. So it's um it's very interesting. Yeah. And I thought one of the things that was interesting in that category, looking at the finalists, again, that it isn't just you know the the startups coming at it. You actually see some of the um you know, bigger banks that are digging deep and you see startups coming at it and digging deep. Now, one of my personal favorite categories to always look at this list and what an impressive list it is, is the women's category, right? The women who are providing, you know, leadership opportunities here. Have you seen over the years that list and who, who makes it and the caliber of it change? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the hardest categories to judge in my view. There were you know, the, the sheer number of entries have grown. The impressive CVs of the women in that category uh, never cease to amaze. You know, they range from people, you know, at the startup level, but people are also living, leading global teams of, you know, transformation teams for the largest institutions that we know, um, you know, doing incredible work. So that category is always a great one, but a difficult one to judge. And I, I also judge that, but I don't have Lisa's exposure to judging it over the years, but I had judged um, women in banking uh, thing for American Banker. And um, of course, I've been at the trade shows for quite some time. So um, you are seeing more women. I feel that strongly because I was just reflecting on like an early Finnovate conference. And I remember I even blogged about this, like everyone pointed out like, wow, you don't have to wait in line for the bathroom when you're a woman <laughs> at these, at these events um, at the time then. And now, you know, like now you do a little bit. So like that is so you're happy about anecdotal. waiting in line for the bathroom. That, that's a positive <laughs> trend. Jason. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it, I think it's an important metric of change. 
when we're queuing out the door, then we'll know that uh, things are really starting to shift. That is a sign of success. <laughs> yes. Welcome to The Futurist, where your hosts, Brett King and Robert Tursek, interview the world's foremost super forecasters, thought leaders, technologists, entrepreneurs, and futurists building the world of tomorrow. Our guests include Kevin J. Anderson, a New York Times bestselling author that worked on the Oscar-winning Dune movie, Andrew Hessel, synthetic biologist and author of The Genesis Machine, and Dr. Harry Clore of Beyond Imagination, the company behind robot avatars like Bamney, one of the most sophisticated general-purpose humanoid robots on the planet. Together, we will explore how our world will be radically changed over the coming years. AI, bioscience, and gene therapy, renewable energy and battery technology, food and agriculture advances, computing, the metaverse, the space industry, crypto, resource management, supply chain automation, and climate change will all reshape our world over the next 100 years. Join us on The Futurist to explore what's coming next, and we will see you in the future. Hello, listeners. I'm Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks. Together, myself and Dr. Richard Petty have recently released our latest best-selling book, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. We look at how inequality, artificial intelligence, and climate change are going to shape our world moving forward. During the pandemic, the wealth of the world's billionaires ballooned. The richest 1% added $1.6 trillion to their wealth, meaning that they own more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans today. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic, but artificial intelligence could disrupt up to 80% of the jobs today. These new industries we are creating will face labor shortages because we aren't training our students with the right skills. By 2050, we'll need to produce 70% more food to feed the 9 billion inhabitants of the planet. But we lost 40% of our farmland to erosion and pollution in the last 50 years. By 2050, 570 global cities face inundation from sea rise. Miami, Guangzhou, New York, Calcutta and Shanghai are just the top five cities. If you want to know more about the solutions to these problems, check out The Rise of Techno-Socialism, our latest best-selling book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to riseoftechnosocialism.com to find out more. Welcome to the future. We're seeing a lot of this, and it's interesting. So in my angel investing, my wife and I had this realization almost a decade ago that we hadn't backed a single female founder. So we put this concerted effort into like, we need to start backing, you know, female entrepreneurs, you know, being uh, a dad to daughters and having a lot of nieces. And what's interesting is we were looking and we were talking about this with our Alloy Labs fund, you know, we were doing the diversity metrics that we're actually running close to 50-50. But the thing that's interesting is it's without trying because there's so much more entrepreneurship and, you know, being exclusive in fintech, which is one of the hardest to, you know, find diversity. There is so much more of it out there now. And I'm curious, when you think of diversity and the breadth of the industry, what are you seeing in terms of the results of this, you know, first level of focus and now actually seeing the space beginning to change? So I'm going to be a little bit less optimistic than you uh, at that moment. I think it's great that you're seeing a 50-50 split. I can assure you that's not what I see. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't, if, you know, 
Well, of the things we've invested done. in, Lisa, not of the deal flow. I should be clear about that. And, ah, okay, yeah. No, no, that's what I thought you meant. But that's not, you know, something you see replicated um, across the industry. So, you know, until we are queuing around the block for the ladies room at conferences and other stuff, you know, there's a lot more to be done. Um, it's frustrating. Like, you know, the, you know, some of the data does not look good in the industry in terms of just looking at gender, let alone, you know, all the other measures of, of diversity that we could talk about. What do you think it's going to take to make that change, Lisa? We'll start with you and then Mary would love your perspective. So, you know, it's a broader societal issue. It's not one for fintech to solve alone. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, some of it's skills, some of it's just, you know, kicking down the old guard and, and making sure that, you know, the kind of change we see from within is happening. Um, you know, you hear stories still again and again about how female founders are treated and funded versus male founders, the culture, not just within, you know, what we might call the kind of dinosaur institutions, but also some of the fintechs is, you know, not conducive to the kind of gender diversity that we're hoping to achieve. So that kind of cultural change at a broader societal level, at the industry level, you know, there's it's a it's a multi-pronged attack. Yeah. Well, they before you go, Mary, Deloitte had done a study on this and said that 30% of the workforce in fintech is female, which is this is a sad statement, but I was actually surprised it was that high. But only five percent of the CEOs in fintech are female, which you know is not good. And I think Lisa, that speaks to your example. Mary, what else do you think needs to change to drive those numbers up? Um, yeah, policy changes. Um, so, you know, when someone has a baby, you know, uh, men need just as long as a female to take off because often I think females, you know, take a pause on their quote unquote career and then find it very challenging to get back into the workforce, for example, or their caretaker to an aging parent, more women do this than men. And it just like really steps you out. And I would also say, especially when I think back about my earlier days, a lot of the networking was like at the golf course or, you know, and something more like that. And I'm pleased to say there's more things going on. There's like yoga, there are like hikes. And I'm not saying one gender does one or the other, but it does become mm, uh, more masculine feel. I can remember really inappropriate comments over the years, especially early in. Um, and it's hard as a woman to want to be in that environment. I happen to have a stand where I'm like, um, I'm going in and I'm going in strong. <laughs> but I do remember one of my first meetings was like, some guy told me, who are you? And I'm like, you know what? Who are you though? <laughs> so You're not so the that person that I would want to call out on that, the sharp response. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, senior leadership, you know, that has to change too. But it's it, like Lisa said, it, this is a really like societal issue that's going on. So, so it's a hard yeah, one. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that's both interesting is that, you know, although I was born in the States, I've been living in, in the UK for a long time. All my kids are born here. I do not know how American women do it because at least here you have some statutory uh, maternity leave where no such thing exists in the States. So extra kudos to American women because I think they're they're pushing against, you know, having to push against an even, an even tougher, tougher door. 
Um, and, you know, completely echo the thoughts around, around policy. But what's interesting, you know, I would have dreamed not of a pandemic, but the ability to work flexibly when my children were little. And, and now that has become a reality, you know, even if people are splitting their time, but ultimately between office and home makes part of that easier. But the kind of interesting thing is that a lot of women were lost to the workforce during the pandemic at the very time when certain things, you know, should make that juggling and balancing act a little bit easier. And there's probably other forces at play there, but, you know, there are some things that I think are, are positive legacies of the, of the pandemic. Yeah. Heaven forbid banks actually finally figure out this flexible workforce, you know, thing (laughs) that you can work remote, but you know, our banks, we struggled through some things. Like when you have a policy and a procedure written called a clean desk policy, what happens when, you know, the financial information and the mortgages you're processing are, you know, that clean desk is now the dining room table, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like it enforced, I think, broadly uh, for us to look back at policies, procedures, approaches, and rethink how we deliver a lot of these values. And I, I think one of the things that I found super interesting on the leadership award side for uh, this, that there was a tech team award. And I don't know that I've seen any other um award ceremony where like they called out not just the tech side of it but the fact that it is a team-based approach you know to that and i think you know the importance of team and both tech teams being part of the product category is another great change mary in the work that you do how often are you digging into the tech team versus like the spokesperson uh, CEO founder you know that you're normally being put in front of this is great i mean that i I'm being put in front of like, you know, the person that they give me, unless I already know the person responsible and then I can go direct to them. But I I happen to not judge this category, but I love this category because often you find someone's getting these accolades um, and really maybe shouldn't because like there's so many people involved. How do you decide who is the face of this award? I don't even think about working uh, at bank right now, you know, there's so many group projects and like the person who gets to claim the fame, let's say, you know, it's, it's reduced to one and it's never just one. Um, so I love this. Um, I love this as a category. I want this category next year, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see if I can put in a good word for you. Thank you. Lisa, how about you with the work that you guys do at BC Innovations and you know, how are you seeing this team-based approach begin to change in the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I actually have judged this category, not for the American edition, but for the um, European edition and, you know, completely echo Mary's thoughts, you know, it takes a team um, and it's great to see teams being being rewarded, you know, and I think we all kind of, you know, there's is the world becoming less hierarchical? I think so in the workplace. Um, and I think this, not just this next generation, but we're all kind of, our expectations are changing around hierarchy. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably reflected in the way that some of team, the way that some teams deliver so effectively. Well, speaking of change in a forward-looking basis, what categories don't we have in terms of the things, not just with, you know, fintech futures and the awards. But when you look forward and say, these are categories that we should be judging our financial service companies on that don't necessarily exist today or aren't given the prominence that they should have. That's such an interesting question. It has to be something around 
around outcomes, right? Like who's made their client base more resilient or had some outcome, you know, that contributes to their financial well-being. Maybe it's something outcome-based. I love that. Show me the data. Show me the data. I don't know. Maybe something I love. Mary, what would you want to see as a category? Well, I just, I love that category. I think that's a really good one. And um, I don't have a list of all the categories, so it's hard for me to, <laughs> to know which, Okay, what in the industry one? don't you think you, we measure enough, right? Awards aside, what, what should we be measuring more? Because I love Lisa's you know, view on outcomes, right? That the financial institution, like this idea of it, well, it's up to the customer to take responsibility. Um, I sort of, in this one, you can't really measure, um, but I'd love to see more attention devoted to creativity. And I know this is a dicey one because you could say, oh, banks were creative in the, you know, the recession and whatnot. But um, I don't mean that. I just mean like, there are some really strong creative strategy leaders. And I feel like um, I'd love to see something that gives them a warm applause for, for their effort. It's very hard to think of new things, I think, especially in financial services. So I'd love to see, hello, creatives of banking, you get a special yeah. award. Yeah. I mean, Shamir Karkal and I had this debate on stage at Moves DevCon, right? So Perk Street was 2008. Yes. And Simple was created at the time, Bank Simple 2009, didn't launch for a few years after that. And he and I were talking about, you know, all the neobanks. We're not picking on the neobanks, but for most of them, like really, we just came up with get your paycheck two days earlier, you know, we're a decade later. And that's what we came up with is we can give you credit for something, you know, that should have been done long ago, or we've lowered some fees. Like, I'd love to see more of that innovation. I would too, but I would say what has gotten better is like publicity. Like I think brands really know how to connect with consumers better. And so whereas as us in the industry might be like, eh, you know, is it that great? I think to a consumer, like people know some of these brands now, like people know which time like that one it you know that yeah. it wasn't as popular back in the day so like branding um uh that's been a notable development i'm like wow um cool kids are talking about fintech <laughs> you know it's, it marks a change that is a pretty market change talking about your bank at all right and where it is and being proud of it whipping out the card you know and showing it off yes i mean that's that's wild like there's literally a dog park i'm in los angeles there's a dog park and like one of my friends like had a little crypto circle bubble up in this dog park and i'm like this is like really this is really surreal um, <laughs> but it does it does mark a notable change yeah lisa what else is we're beginning to wrap this up what are the other notable change in the industry um has begun to surprise you I don't know if it's a surprise, but one of the really interesting trends uh, that we're following is in embedded finance. And again, I kind of see this, you know, it's, I was just thinking about what Mary said about brands, because it's not just financial brands, you know, in our family, it's really interesting. I've got four kids, two girls, two boys, the two girls, I don't know where they, they developed this affinity, signed themselves up for Starling and the boys went for Monzo. I don't know if that's a reflection of the culture in the first. I found it really interesting. But, you know, this idea of, you know, banking with the bank is changing, right? So, you know, yep. I might get my banking services from some other brand to which I have an affiliation or a loyalty, or they just understand my need in that particular context. So, you know, to me, banking without banks, or at least the visual storefront of a bank, um, is really interesting. 
Absolutely. And you, as we're seeing more and more of that, that the, you know, the embeddedness and how that can impact outcomes for people. So looking forward to actually future conversations with both of you. Again, this is the FinTech Futures Awards, May 19th at the Julia Morgan Ballroom in San Francisco. If you go to the Informa Connect, also in the show notes, uh, or to FinTech Futures, you can find more about the event, both for sponsorship or to book a table. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.